Hopefully I've got the right pad here. We'll find out in a second. Oh, yeah. It's time for no driving gloves. Now I've got the right pad. No driving gloves were a combination of gearheads. John the instigator, Derek the conservator, Will the builder, Sean the racer, and maybe a guest invite you to listen while they sit down, have a drink, and discuss cars. Subscribe to the podcast No Driving Gloves. Time now. For the ride. And that's what we're going to do. We're going to put you on a ride tonight or today or whatever generic time of the day that you're listening to the podcast. You've got John and I think we've got the D-Man on the other side, don't we? Hey, did you know I like cars? I've heard a rumor. Okay, good. But you, your most recent purchases have been like trucks. What? Okay, so I bought a new truck to drive. Well, not a new truck. A used, new, used, used, new truck. I don't know how that goes. But uh, new to me, used to the world. How's that? And plus, the, the newest purchase was equipment to lift the cars off the ground to work on them, John, and then put them back down. Yeah, I, I, I wish I could uh, afford a pre-loved truck and a lift and by the way, it's a pre-loved lift, okay? So it was cheaper than a new lift. That goes into a brand spanking new tool shed. Well, you can't really buy a used barn. Well, you can. Then you got to spend the expense of moving it, rebuilding it, restoring it. You might as well buy the new one. Come on. There's a whole TV show about that. Barn builders or barn movers or something. Well, I will restore a barn one day. It is it is on the list, and there's one just down the street from me that hopefully will be the one. Are you going to move it, or are you just going to buy the farm that's down the street from you, add it to your sprawling acreage? I actually have been thinking about uh, approaching the farmer to see if he would like subdivide the plot that the barn is on and just buy that and have another piece of property down the street. I guess that kind of makes sense. That'd be the warehouse, you know, and be that's where the cars would be. And I'd just go down there and get one out and drive it to work, drive it around, you know. If Will was here, there was a, um, when we were at McPherson, there was about a mile, mile and a half from the school. They called it the Red Barn. And that's where the school kept a lot of their overflow donation cars and that. So I guess that kind of makes sense. Well, I mean, if anybody wants to donate a car to me, I'd be happy to uh, have one donated to me. And, um, you know, no tax incentives, no anything. You'd just be helping a guy out. I wonder if that could be done. <clears throat> I mean, well, we know it can be done. We both are acquaintances of people that have turned their car collections into charitable organizations. But could you do it on your scale? No. You make it a nonprofit, and, but you're using the cars for exhibition and learning and and the problem is, John, that, well, I shouldn't say that. Never mind. I'd get myself in trouble if I say what I was just about to say. <laughs> <laughs> I could say it, but I probably would still get you in trouble. I, I get people in trouble vicariously all the time. Hmm. I live my life vicariously through John. That's a scary thought. <laughs> <laughs> hey, we, we're, we're making a good run at the fact that we are both have, we both have, a glass of scotch again tonight. So 
Yeah, I have a, a wimpy glass because, like I said, I just cashed in the rest of a bottle, clear up some space on the shelf. Mine is a uh, somewhat full bottle. Eh, I don't know. I opened it sometime over the summer to have some with friends, so had to crack it open again and try something different tonight. I'll probably cash in that bottle of the same thing you've been drinking the last couple of weeks, excluding tonight. I don't know if it's sitting sitting well with me or if it's a peanut amaranth. That <laughs> I'm going to apologize right now if Ooh. I happen to have a gaseous expulation during the uh, show. Them are some big words, John. Now, Zara has this problem with me because I'll sometimes overly describe things using words that nobody would ever use to describe them. And I don't understand what's so odd about that. It it just makes you kind of a, a giant posterior, you know. You know, it's it's like the combination of a yellow and blue automobiles just don't sell very well. They have so what are we going to talk about? <laughs> See, I was trying to bring it back to cars, green cars, no less, if I remember my color wheel. I don't know what we're going to talk about tonight. How about we talk about mopeds? Okay, I'm good for that. Road trips on mopeds. I believe there are groups dedicated to that, actually. There's like moped, are they gangs? Like motorcycle gangs, moped gangs? I don't know. I don't believe I, I, don't believe I said that. In the pre-show, we said we weren't going to mention a place, and then I say that, and I, I didn't even think of it until you said there's groups dedicated to that. And my former employer is having their interesting event, again, the Small Boar Festival. So if you know where I used to work, and you're into mopeds and trail 50s and things like oh, that. Oh, oh, I, I'm sorry. I thought you meant we had to take our piglets there and have them run around. Small boars? No. No, 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 no. Checking something, checking something. <sighs> what, the small boars comment ruined it? Is that really what just happened? Like the piglets? Oh, no, there, was, there was some background hissing through my uh, earbuds, and I was trying to make sure that it wasn't something to do with the machines. Oh, all right. We'll probably edit that section of the conversation out. Oh, come on, small boars. It was hilarious. Oh, not the small boars. Oh, okay, good. I drew a blank. I had, I'm I was waiting going, for you to I say something. I was going here. somewhere, and uh, it's just like the stupid guy that doesn't take off from the red light. Well, you know what, John? It's, it's funny that you would say that because tonight's show is about going somewhere. Ah, you see what I did there? Oh, uh, yeah. Uh, Derek ties it all in. And going it might not even be going somewhere. Yeah, I guess it is going somewhere because we're going to talk talk about maybe some interesting places that kind of off the beaten path. Like, okay, as John has already uh, messed this show up, you, you, we know that there are the big dogs in the automotive museum slash history world. We had. In the pre-show, talked about not mentioning them, but we can run through them really quick and just get them off the table here. You know, you've got the Peterson, you've got the Henry Ford Museum, you've got places like huh, the Revs Institute, the Barber Motorsports Museum, the National Corvette Museum, all of the big dog museums that are out there. Let's call them that for now. 
I, can you really call them the big dog museums? And won't, won't somebody get offended if you call the museums the big dog? Okay, you've got the um, the big name museums. How's that? The yes. um, is that good? There, yeah, that, that, the, that's better. The utmost popular automotive museums in the United States. But you know, John and I have talked about different just trips we've taken, things like that. And at least for me, and I think probably for John, occasionally we try to find on those trips some some automotive venue or something to go to, something related to automotive history that is, as I said, off the beaten path or maybe not very well known about. So I think that's kind of what we want to talk about tonight because for myself, there's at least one that's within a half hour of my house that's really kind of a fun place to go. I think it's little known in the automotive world. It's better known as kind of a, um, oh, no, I don't want to say artist colony, but a, um, you know, kind of a boutique shopping, shopping area in Nashville. But it has such rich automotive history uh, that it make and and I happen to know the the gentleman that owns it, and really makes it kind of a cool place. And that's the Marathon Motor Works, and and I think we've mentioned it on the show before here and there, but it is really worth the drive if you you know if you live in the greater Nashville area, say an hour or two hours out. We have some avid listeners of the show that have been there. Uh, really dig it. I've talked to them about it. It's cool because it's the only automobile manufacturing facility that ever existed in Nashville. Uh, of course, back in the, the late 1910s, well, I shouldn't say late, mid-1910s, the gentleman that owns it happened to just buy it because he thought it was cool, wanted to restore the buildings and, and bring life back to this and, and bring its history back. And he's done a phenomenal job. He's actually bought a number of marathon automobiles that are left in existence. I think there's like 11 left known in existence. And I think he's up to six or seven of them at the facility now. And they're on display in the original showroom uh, that was part of the factory. He's got grand ideas. I mean, there's he, you know, I, I happened to run into him when I was down there one time and we got to chatting and. I had met him when I worked back in Cleveland, of all places, because he was at the Crawford doing some research on one of the employees of the company because they had gone to Cleveland and worked in the automotive industry there. Ran into him again down here, and uh, he gave me a tour kind of behind the scenes, if you will, of things he's doing. It's going to be a phenomenal place. Yeah, I think some people that listen to the show, if, if you haven't heard us talk about this place it became somewhat famous probably within the last decade because of the American Pickers. This is where they have their their satellite store, their Nashville store, where they sell some of their stuff. So it's kind of known for having that store located within the building. I kind of usually skip that store when I'm there. I'm not a big fan. But the automotive portions of it, the history, and some of the other stores, really kind of cool. So that is one place that I would say, not necessarily off the beaten path, but not always the most well-known place in Nashville to go hang out. I know exactly where you're talking about. And ironically, the only time I've been there was for a podcast meeting. What's the, <laughs> what are the, what are the chances? So, yes, there was a... Uh, 
there's a comedy club in that same uh, venue, and a couple of the guys from the uh, Nashville Podcaster Club had a pretty big gathering, and w- one of the guys is a comedian, hence. But but that is a very unique, cool place, and, uh, and I always like places like that where they're kind of timeless, where they've reverted. You know, you've got an old building, you've got the old machinery, you've got, you know, it just puts the mood in well, I'm going to say I'm going to throw one out there that's the exact opposite. And it, while the thought is great, it's in a place is worth a look if you're into this. But the Mustang Museum of America in Odenville, Alabama, it's about 45 minutes from here, uh, from where I am. And they have about 100, 120 Mustangs, but it's all in a brand new, whatever you want to call it. Morton building, uh, post and beam steel skin building. At least I think it's now air conditioned. When I visited it, you know, it wasn't going to be air conditioned. And it's a nice collection of Mustangs. And if you're really into Mustangs, he's got a different sort of collection. A lot of highway patrol cars, a couple of rare things. And, you know, the obligatory 64 and a half convertible. 65. Like that. <clears throat> 64 and a half. We'll get into that on another show. Yes, we, we will talk about cars that have model years that may or may not exist. <laughs> so I'm going to throw that one out, and then I'll move on. No, do I want to move on, or are we going to just bounce back and forth like a uh, John McEnroe tennis match? Wow, wow, throwing tennis into it, huh? I thought throwing John McEnroe was going to be rough, but he was in oh, some movie yeah. that we were watching the other night. Maybe it was an Adam Sandler movie. Yeah. Well, I mean, we could just but sit did here. Did you see and, the deal he signed on Netflix? You know, we could just sit here and yell at each other. I mean, that that kind of catch the spirit of of that. Oh, the anger management. That's the movie. I there you go. Look at that. Look at how helpful <laughs> I am. We would be yelling at each other. Yeah, I don't care if you just ramble on or if we bounce back and forth. You know, do a little volley here, if you will. Um, I, I will say, I mean, one of the other really cool early automotive uh, manufacturing facilities that has been turned into a museum, the Ford Piquette plant uh, in Detroit, Michigan. Fantastic. Highly recommended. You know, that is where the Model T was born. The secret room where they developed it is there. They've done a great exhibit on the secret room. I mean, just it's just a phenomenal place if you're interested in the early automobile industry, but really the automobile industry in general, because I mean, this is the building, the, the room, the site, the spot where the car that put the world on wheels is born. Fantastic place. Uh, you know, a very small nonprofit institution that run, you know, organization that runs it, but they do a phenomenal job presenting the information they have a lot of the early Fords in there. They also have, and the area that Paquette is in is is what is referred to as Milwaukee Junction. And it's the roads and things that are around there. But it's where a number of the early automobile manufacturers were. And they have a number of those cars on display too. So even though it's the Ford Paquette Avenue you know, plant museum where, where the Fords, early Fords were built, some of them. Not all of them. There was another Mack Avenue before it. They also tell the story of the greater, that greater part of Detroit and its importance in developing the early automobile here in America. So 
Another great one, again, kind of off the beaten path in Detroit, probably an area you wouldn't normally think to go to, but it is well, 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 well worth the trip to go see it. Highly recommend it. The one I'm going to throw out, I don't know if it's along the same vein, but it's 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 going to be different because they have very few cars or motorcycles or anything. They, um, I'm thinking the... Uh, International Motor Racing Research Center at Watkins Glen. Oh. And just love the area. First, you know, you've got the, how do they call it, the IMRRC, which is just this phenomenal uh, research facility. All kinds of, I think the entire archives of the Sports Car Club of America, racing histories there, literature, advertising. It's it's going to a library, no, no doubt about it. But if you're at all into racing or the enjoyment, any of that history, just to see. And then to add it, they put it in probably one of the best places that you could at Watkins Glen because it's a little bit away from the track. And, of course, you you know you go visit Watkins Glen. And then you can go visit, and now all of a sudden I'm drawing a blank. I want to call it Seneca, but that all of a sudden that's popping to me. as in, Is it the Seneca Motor Lodge that's uh, up in Watkins Glen? I believe. Mm, that is and a good question, John. I don't recall. I guess I probably should use this uh, computer in front of me and make sure that is the correct name. Hey, that, hey there's this thing called Google that you can use nowadays. If you put the stupid cursor in the right place so that when you go to type, hear me clicking in the background. If I could have a 3070 or 3080 graphics card, it would reduce that. Yes, Seneca Motor Lodge. John, this is not a computer podcast. We, I have no <laughs> idea what you're talking about. Yeah. However, I'm guessing that there's probably graphics cards in yes. modern modern automobiles because there are so many graphics on the dash and in the infotainment system. That's something we probably should address at some point, but maybe not today since we're talking history. But yeah, okay. Seneca Motor Lodge. And back in the day of, you can go to Seneca Motor Lodge and hang out in the bar and stay in the little rustic cabins. And that's where the Formula One drivers would stay back in the 50s and 60s when they were racing Watkins Glen. And there's a lot of history there. And if you're lucky enough, you might catch somebody. I happened to be there on a Lotus tour and there were a lot of, there's a lot of people still in that area that remember the cool 50s, 60s era of Formula One racing. So I, you've got the Seneca Motor Lodge. There's another hotel up there that team owners used to stay at. It's just one of those places you can have a nice experience. And you can even drive some of the old Watkins Glen racetrack, which is parts of it now have become public roads. You know, it wasn't always this little two-mile thing. It was a multiple-mile track. But that's, if you're in um, upstate New York, that's a... That's really worth a stop, checking both of those places out. And uh, ironically, you can uh, win a 2021 Corvette from the uh, the library. A fantastic car, if I do say so. Where are you now taking us to, Derek? I just, I just threw that out there. Well, now I have two in my head, John, because you talked about a research center. And I actually used to serve on the board for, if, if you're... And this is 
strictly if you're researching automobiles. But the Detroit Public Library uh, has the, a number of branch libraries, obviously, because it's such a large city. But the Skillman branch of the Detroit Public Library houses the National Automotive History Collection. And as I said, I served on the board for, I think it was two years there, back when I was at Henry Ford Museum. It is a phenomenal, I keep using that word. I feel like I'm stuck on that word tonight. But it's, it's a mind-blowing collection of early automotive history and actually more modern automotive history as well. If you are researching almost any car that's built in the United States, it is worth reaching out to them and basically asking what is housed in that archives. Um, you know, I've had a number of friends contact me that have oddball cars early, you know, typically early oddball cars. And they're like, where should I go to research this? I usually point them in the direction of the NAHC, National Automotive History Collection, uh, first. It's, I don't think a lot of people know about it, unfortunately. And I guess now I'm going to carry the banner of the NAHC, and encourage people if you're if you're researching something you know something if you're researching an automobile it is well worth the email or phone call to see what they have in in their archives you know it was it was cool being able, able to serve on the board and see some of the collection that is there and and serve with some of the people that I served with because there were some incredible automotive historians that were on the board um, when I was there. I'm sure there, there still are. I don't know who makes up the board anymore. Just a, a great opportunity and a great research library. But then on the flip side of going somewhere that is just really cool to see a lot of cars and a lot of stuff. And John, I'm going to guess you've probably been here. I hope you've been here because it is not far from McPherson. Well, I shouldn't say that. It's it's a little ways from McPherson, but it's not like driving halfway across the country. And I'll throw out the town it's in and see if it rings a bell. Minden, Nebraska. That's actually a pretty good drive from uh, McPherson. Well, and I have, I have but not it's not like there. driving there from Birmingham, Alabama. No, it's not like driving there from Lincoln either. But. Well, oh, my God. All right. <laughs> fine. Fine. Uh, does Minden, Nebraska ring a bell? I have not been there. Why don't you tell me about this exciting place so that I may want to visit that in my home state of Nebraska? Harold Warp's Pioneer Village. Have you heard of it? No, I have not. I highly recommend it for anybody interested in, I, I, I guess I'm going to have to be kind of, uh, I, I don't want to be that guy that's like mean or anything, but if you like kind of the old roadside attractions of just early, you know, 50s, 60s, Route 66 Americana, it is a massive car collection. They have a, a some just incredible cars in the collection. They actually have, of course, everybody here knows my dad and I own a 1929 Roosevelt built by Marmon. They have a Roosevelt there, uh, which blew me away that they had one in the collection there. But I mean, everything, there's a, a Model K Ford in there. There's just so many things. I can't even remember some of the stuff that's in there. Aircraft, 
old machinery tractors. I just, it is, it is incredible. And then behind the building, you go outside and there's this really cool, small little pioneer village that of, you know, original cabins and things like that. And then there's a number of other warehouse buildings that you can walk through that have more cars inside of them. So if you're, you know, this isn't your Henry Ford Museum uh, Greenfield Village experience. It's not your, you know, National Corvette Museum, Peterson Museum type thing, but it is, as I say, it's, it's a 1950s, 60s era kind of feel to it, roadside attraction. I don't remember exactly when it started, maybe in the late 60s, early 70s, I think he might have started it. And I could be wrong. It could have been earlier, but just a really cool place. I've been there once. I strongly want to go back. Um, If I'm ever driving through Nebraska, that Minden area, I plan on stopping again. And um, I I highly recommend looking it up because it's it's just kind of a cool, quaint place. Uh, If you're a, a museum nerd like myself, you know, you can quickly pick out issues that they have you know, from some collections management standpoint, things like that. I, I hate to dive into that rabbit hole, but overall cool factor and just interesting stuff high on the list. Did you Google it, John? No, I did not Google it. I was listening to you. Tell me about it. I need to imagine, get my mind blown away. God, am I weird tonight? And I really haven't had it's the scotch. Of, it makes the show uh, better. I was going to say, I haven't even had much of the libation this evening. I'm going to throw one out from kind of, it's not my hometown, actually, as I alluded there to Derek. I was born in Omaha, Nebraska. But I grew up in Peoria, Illinois, and there's a little place there, and it's not necessarily a car museum, but it is. It's called the Wheels of Time Museum. It's this little place in Dunlap, Illinois. It's just on the outskirts of Peoria, and It's one of these places that, crazy old me, I lived there for 15 years, 16 years, never made it out there. And then I had to actually drive 10 hours to go back and visit the place. They have a nice collection of early Ford V8s. Actually, the uh, early Ford V8 club, this is kind of their home. So at any given time, there'll be anything from a 33 to, I think, a 53 Ford on display. They also have a collection of clocks. They have a collection of vintage washing machines. They have a collection collection of vintage fire trucks. They have a collection, they have a couple vintage airplanes that are hanging in some of the buildings. They have a, in the Midwest, back in the 50s, when they were looking at housing issues, they have a, uh, a steel house, which was, um, the Laterno Steel House, which just one of these ideas, you build a house really quickly, kind of like the, um, I would compare it to 3D printing a house now. Everybody wants to 3D print a house. This was uh, kind of along the Dimaxium theory. It's just a steel house that was built really quick and efficiently and inexpensively. They have trains. They have, it's literally a place that you can go see a lot of things mechanical. Really, really, really stretch the truth and say it's a mini Henry Henry Ford, but that's really, really stretching the truth. But they have a lot of cool things and just this quaint little probably 10-acre site among about 
15 or 16 buildings. Uh, they've got some pretty good shots on the web. They've got a little virtual tour that's about two minutes long. But if you ever find yourself going down Interstate 74 in Illinois for some reason, or say if you're going from St. Louis to Chicago, instead of taking Interstate 55 and hopping over, take 74 up to 80 and uh, swing through Dunlap and uh, take a look and check out that little place. Another one that crossed my mind and I looked it up on the web and unfortunately, well, actually, let's go back to the Wheels of Time because it's going to coincide with this. The Wheels in Time has a special exhibit through October. They op they're open May through October. But starting May 1st to October 31st or something like that, they're actually running a COVID-19 exhibit with various photographs from a year of COVID-19, just taking one still image of somebody's life during COVID in a pandemic. Don't know what it looks like. Sounds interesting. But the reason I went back to that is I really want to do, and it's a cool, cool museum, the Lauderdale Antique Car Museum in Fort Lauderdale. But it's closed right now because of COVID. They have, they have no plans of reopening right now. They may not reopen. Um, it's just this fabulous collection, mainly of Packards. And some everything in there is exquisite. Lots of memorabilia. There's got to be 30 or 40 different Packards in there. Everything runs. When I was doing one of my appraisal classes, we went and visited this place. And it's just, I'm not a big one for that era of cars. But this this place really, really impressed me. There was another one I was going to mention just outside of McPherson. That was the REO Museum. But it closed 10 years ago and everything was sold off. There's three really quick for me. Two, one that you can go see because they happen to be open at this time of year. One that you might be able to go see and one that's been lost to history. Maybe that'd be a cool historical thing. Car museums that are no longer with us. Mm, there's a number of those. I won't get into it, but because we'll save it for another show. Well, and I'm meaning real car museums that were designed to be car museums, not car museums that were designed to be a tax dodge. Right, right. Yeah, well, that's, uh, you know, the one that comes to mind for me is the Long Island Car Museum, which was uh, Austin Clark's uh, museum the big museum up there, uh, some phenomenal cars that were in that collection that have found their way into other museums and um, specifically a few at the Crawford Auto Aviation Museum where I used to work. Um, but yeah, there are a number of those. Um, you know, the Crawford's a, a, a kind of a good one to hit too. It might be bordering on one of the bigger ones, but you know, that's a, a hell of a place that nobody thinks of right off the yeah, it's it's unfortunate in the in the nineteen let's say sixties and seventies and even a little bit into the eighties, it was probably one of the better known automotive museums in the U.S. It's one of the oldest as well. Uh, if you if you follow it back through the Thompson, what was called the Thompson Auto Album, uh, Fred Crawford had set up. Well, he was president of Thompson Products, a big, big name in the automobile industry, folks, uh, eventually would become known as TRW, Thompson, Ramo, and Wooldridge. Yeah, the Crawford is, it's 
and I, I don't ever want to say anything, you know, negative about um, one of my previous jobs, anything like that. But I think it gets a little lost because it's it's tied into, and it's you know it it is part of the Western Reserve Historical Society there in Cleveland, and it's at the main campus of of the Western Reserve Historical Society, known as the Cleveland History Center. I think it gets a little lost in that shuffle of being part of a bigger institution. Being one of the oldest uh, automotive collections slash museums in the country, uh, some awesome cars there that have been around, you know, in that collection since the 30s. Duryea that's there, the Duryea Electra that's there is really cool. Early Hupmobiles, the World Touring Hupmobile is there, the, the Hupmobile that drove around the world, uh, still in pretty much all original condition. And that is just freaking cool. But yeah, that is that is a, a great place. I would I would probably I would probably list it as one of the bigger you know big name institutions in some ways because people do know about it. You know, I think maybe some of the other museums, and I you know I hate to just keep going on museums. I kind of like thinking about the you know like Marathon, which isn't really a museum; it's just a automotive you know, historic site, let's call it, you know, it's, it's not specifically a museum dedicated to the history of, but rather it is a location where something happened. And I like stopping at those on, on one of my road trips uh, years and years and years ago for a NAM conference, National Association of Automobile Museums conference, myself and, and a good friend that used to be the curator for Armored Corps Duesenberg Museum, uh, we went on a trip. I don't even remember where was the conference that year. Wow. Uh, I guess. Oh, it was at. Yep, blanking on the name. Speedway Motors. It was at the um, the museum there, Museum of American Speed. And uh, so we, rather than fly out, we actually decided to road trip. And I left Cleveland, picked him up in Indiana, and we just drove out to the you know speedway motors and the museum of american speed and we specifically looked for things along the way and one of the spots that he knew about was the original uh, mason automobile factory which is the first comp car company the duesenberg brothers were involved in was the Ma- wait mace no sorry wrong name maytag and so we stopped at the site of the factory, which was still there. It had been renovated slightly and into a different, you know, obviously a more modern company now, but we just looked at the building, took some pictures and, you know, you're in a spot where automotive history took place and the Duesenberg brothers got their beginnings and eventually would become uh, some of the best known engineering minds in American automotive history for the Duesenberg automobile. And, uh, you know, so I also like stopping at places like that. So, you know, there's a number of those around the country that you can find. And if you're on a road trip, you know, and, and you're an automotive person, I just dig up that kind of stuff. Like, okay, what car was built in, you know, this state? And then what cities am I going through? And can I kind of correlate uh, one of those automobiles that were built to the city I'm going to be in. And is that factory still standing and existing? And can I go see it? A good way to do some of that research, by the way, I'm just going to say, cause it's sitting right in front of me right now 
if you don't have it, the standard catalog of American automobiles, 1805 to 1942. There's actually an index in the back that tells you state by state what automobiles were built and what city they were built in. A great way to track down some of those old buildings and see where these cars were built. And if you're just nerdy enough, uh, you can track down the building and go see it. And what was funny is, as you began to talk there, I got thinking about another museum that I visited, or I don't even know if you call it a museum. It was a collection of about six cars. It amazes me, in all my years of cars, if it wasn't for where my grandparents' house is, I wouldn't even know this car exists because I never hear them talked about. In their first two years of existing, they built over a 1,000 cars. By the mid-teens, they were building four to 5,000 cars a year, and their cars ranged in price from about $1,500 to $5,200 in 1915. I mean, that's serious money for a car. Uh, and that's the uh, Vealey Motor Company. Oh, yeah. That was founded in uh, 1902 by the, I believe it was the maternal grandson of John Deere. And it was founded in Moline, Illinois, Davenport, Iowa, that the, what's known as the Quad Cities to those to that area. You know, that's where John Deere is based. But Vealey got this hair that he decided he built, started the Vealey Carriage Company in 02. In 08, he created the Vealey Motor Company, built v- wonderful cars. I mean, these things are gorgeous, but they're never talked about. I've never seen one at a Concours. I've never seen one for sale. I've never seen one at auction. Now, I don't read every auction catalog, but I'm pretty well versed in automobiles. And I just never have seen one. They built a truck starting in 1911. They bought an air, they bought a uh, airplane manufacturer in 27. And after that, everything went wrong because I think in 28, yeah, late 28, I'm thinking, Vili himself passed away and left the business to his son, who a couple months later decided he couldn't operate both companies, and he sold, the, he closed the car company. And then two months later, like within six or seven months of his dad's passing, he passed away. And the airplane company was then sold off. But, you know, they built these wonderful things, and obviously Derek knows what I'm talking about, but Derek lives in that world. Do you see a lot of Ely's, Derek, or are there lots of them out there? I guess this is what I'm beginning to wonder, because the old Vealey plantation and mansion has been through various iterations of life. And at one point, it was a little bit of a museum to the Vealey family. Now, I think it's a restaurant again or an office building, but it's like two miles from my grandparents' house. So to go there, I have to drive by this mansion all the time. And that's the only time I think of these cars. No, there. as far as I know, there are not a lot of Vili's left in existence, but they are, they're a phenomenal car. They are, I mean, they're one of the, they were higher end and they were just, I, I don't know what to say. I mean, they were of the caliber of, they're built from, I'm going to cheat because I've got the standard catalog in front of me. 1909 to 1929, so about a 20-year run. They were one of the first cars to have uh, electric ignition. Mm -hmm. They were one of the first cars to have hydraulic brakes. Mm -hmm. They were one of the first cars to actually use inflatable, like, tires. Yeah, and, I mean, they were of of the caliber of 
Peerless and Pierce Arrow at the time in the early, you know, the 19 aughts. I mean, you're looking at cars that uh, I'm just pulling it up here in, in the standard catalog. 1910, the 1910 Vili, uh, you know, they had a couple different models, but I mean, they ranged from $1,800 factory priced up to 3000 That's not that's not a cheap car in 1910. No, they actually ranged from what I understand, uh, they were almost pushing um, 5,500 or something for some of their top of the line models going through here a little bit on the internet. And according to the Vili register in 2010, only 230 Vili's remained in existence. That's a small handful figuring they might've built seven or 8,000 cars. That's, that's not a good, um, survival rate it's probably that cash for clunkers that came by a few years yeah. ago they got rid of most of them might have also been the world war ii scrap drive that killed a lot of cars yes it did but well worth it you know i'm trying to think of some of the other cool there's just and you know there the other thing is there's just so many cool automotive and i guess this this goes back to almost american culture which is since the introduction of the automobile in America and the mass adaption of the automobile in America, it has ingrained itself so deeply in our culture that almost anywhere you go, you can typically stumble across something automotive. I mean, even in uh, the the area my my wife grew up in and and you know lived in for so long now okay granted it's it's Warren Ohio and probably one of the most significant automotive families came out of that area and that would be the Packard brothers <laughs> yeah they start with an electrical company uh, making lamps and electrical wiring and all this stuff and eventually decide they're going to build an automobile yes Alexander Winton's involved in the story. But, you know, and she worked at the National Packard Museum. So here's this cool, small automotive museum in Warren, Ohio, dedicated to the history of Packard. And they do talk about the electric company. And even to this day, if you own a GM vehicle, and and I'd have to do a little research on dates and exactly which ones still have it in it, things like that, if they're still producing it this way. I know as I would say as late as the 90s, even into the early 2000s, they may even still be doing it. If you look closely on some of the wiring inside of GM vehicles, it actually still says Packard Electric on it because they are part of Delphi, which does electrical wiring for General Motors. So there's still that tie there in the automotive field, but the National Packard Museum, a a phenomenal, uh, yeah, there I go using that word again. A really cool museum, but one of the suburbs of Warren, and I know people are like a suburb of Warren, Ohio, but in some ways a suburb. Um, One of the small communities that grew up around Warren is uh, Howland or Howland Heights. And there is a small, this is, this is cool. There is a small old school hardware store there and you go inside of it. They have some cool stuff. Number one, they just have some cool old hardware store stuff. But there's a Stanley Steamer. And I'm going to blank on what the other car is. But two early cars just sitting in the hardware store. Dad of the, the family, the, the patriarch of the family of the hardware store, 
just loved old cars and he bought this Stanley steamer and uh, another early horseless carriage that I can't remember. Oh, it's a, um, it's a Dayton. They have them still in the hardware store to this day, just sitting there. And so you go into this number one, really cool old hardware store, but you see these two really cool old early automobiles just there. So I think if you're wise, when you're on a road trip and you're really looking around, I mean, I've been on just driving around on road trips, go driving through an old, some old town in the Midwest and the local museum um, has like a storefront in one of the old buildings. And here's an old horseless carriage sitting in the window because it was the horseless carriage that was built in town. So what do I do? Slam on the brakes, turn around, go back, get out. Hopefully the museum's open. If they are, go in, check it out. If not, look at it through the window and take some pictures. But I mean, that's, you know, one of the cool things, man, is, is the integration of the automobile into American culture is just, it makes it almost impossible to not find something automotive related almost anywhere you go. I think one of the other cool things about just driving around America is finding these cool little places that, uh, that exist. I will say one place, if you're ever up visiting uh, Acadia National Park up in Maine, really cool small automotive museum up there called the Seal Cove Automotive Museum. They've got some incredible early cars there as well. Brass era, horseless carriage stuff that is just out of this world. I mean, just really, really stellar. You know, we've talked a lot about a lot of little various places. Heck, we've thrown some car trivia in here. How about the listeners send us some of their ideas? You know, if John does go crazy and buy an RV, John's going to need places to go and keep the podcast interesting. And you don't want to hear me keep talking about CRXs and uh, mini trucks. So. Ooh, 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 ooh. If, 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 if you're in Midland, Texas, go to the Petroleum Museum. I knew there had to be something in Texas. I was trying to remember. I went to one when I was in Dallas, but that was last time I was in Dallas was 20, 25 years there's, ago. There's a, a little known guy uh, that lives in Midland, Texas. His name's Jim Hall. I think you, I've heard I think you might Jim. know that name, yeah. John. Yeah. Well, yeah, he, he he's a guy like put put vacuum cleaner type fans on the yeah, back of so, car. something like that yeah 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 sucker car you know high wing cars you know they, they, they uh, run them every weekend yeah so there's there's a little museum there called the petroleum museum it just so happens to have a wing um dedicated to some of the cars of the legendary man jim hall there and uh man i'll tell you it is it is cool if you like race cars the Chaparral is an amazing car. Sorry, I had to get that in there. That was a nice one to slip in there. We used to have an accountant in a former place that I worked that always encouraged you got to go. You got to go to see that because he's the one that told me that they run their cars every weekend or on their website have a operating schedule. So you, if you wanted to see one operate, they would. You'd have your your chance. I think we're going to close this episode out. I mean, we did cover a lot of stuff but i don't think we had the jubilance and excitement it's been a, I think a busy couple of weeks derek's flipping exhibits and i try not to use the word busy when it comes to my schedule because i make my schedule so if i'm busy i made myself busy or i relax too much somewhere else i procrastinated i'm just just a little bit overwhelmed with my workload this week and i apologize to the listeners overwhelmed yes an excellent word for it john yes I'm no longer busy. I'm overwhelmed. 
But with that, I'm drifting out of here. <laughs> no pun intended. I'm I'm not even sure how to end that after that. I'm just, I'm going to go. You end it this way. Thank you for listening, and remember to look us up at nodrivinggloves.com. There you can find back episodes, links to products we recommend, and links to all of our social media. Be sure to tell a friend about us. No Driving Gloves is edited and produced by J. Lewis Productions.